and welcome to episode five of Have You Seen? I hope you're full of turkey and other festive foodstuffs. I'm Santa Kieran, and across the desk from me, as always, is my happy little Christmas elf, Tom Webb. Great, thanks. Yeah, I thought you'd enjoy that. <laughs> uh, later, we're going to talk about our favourite films of 2011, the DVDs and Blu-rays you should be spending your vouchers on, which inevitably will have turned up in your Christmas stocking. First, let's talk about last week's pitches. Um, I pitched Tom The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, you did indeed. Uh, do you want to recap it for our lovely audience? I shall do. It's a stop-frame uh, animation film produced by Tim Burton uh, from a poem he wrote when he was an animator at Disney. Uh, he came upon the idea after seeing a half-finished Christmas window display. The Christmas stuff was going up and the Halloween stuff was coming down and he just wondered what it would be like if you combined the two holidays. Uh, the story is of Jack Skellington, who is uh, he's the king of Christmas Town. He's the pumpkin king of Christmas Town. He's the pumpkin king of Halloween Town. Uh, maybe he moved. Uh, he's the pumpkin. Jack Skellington is the pumpkin king of Halloween Town. He's bored with how Halloween is going. It's the same every year. He's bored of frightening people, and he falls into Christmas Town, uh, and it's a, a just wonder and delight to him. He decides that the people of Halloween Town are going to take over Christmas and uh, and do it in their own inimitable style. It's a musical, and um, stop-motion hilarity ensues. Uh, go. Okay, now, <clears throat> I know a lot of people absolutely love this film, so yes. I'm going to be very careful what I say. All good. This is going to be a fun podcast. Well, no, I, I came away from this with really mixed feelings. And... Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll try and explain what I mean. Okay. So, the animation is absolutely stunning. I mean, it's gorgeous, and it's for stop motion animation, it is just so smooth and elegant and graceful, and it's you know, it is the pinnacle of stop motion animation. Eighteen year old stop motion. Absolutely. As well. Yeah, yeah, and it's it looks absolutely fantastic and i love the style the the look of the whole film i mean i might mention on a previous podcast i'm a big fan of the early german expressionist movies uh, like dr caligari and nosferatu and all that kind yeah. of stuff so i've always loved that that style and look which this uh, particularly halloween town very very much has um the uh the music which is a huge part of it again is fantastic Danny Elfman you know it's exactly what you think of when you think of Danny Elfman and you know that everyone all the singing's great and all that kind of stuff but for some reason it it just didn't I don't know it just left me a bit cold didn't engage you no and I halfway through I started to think this music is really great and the singing's really great the animation is really really great I'm just not sure that I like the two of them together. Interesting. And I know that sounds really weird, but I think I would have preferred it if it had been a silent film. I, you know, and it's like, I, I don't know if people know that um, uh, uh, there was a ballet company that did a version of Edward Scissorhands. Yes. And I kept thinking, I think I'd actually rather see this like that, like a ballet or something, that this story would work really well like that. Okay. And it might be because I'm not a fan of opera. And this kind of is an opera, in a way, in terms of the music. Mm-hmm. There's not, there, you know, there's a lot of story given through the lyrics, and the, and it's, you know, it's not like popular music. There are no hooks and catches to the music, but I found personally. Apart from perhaps um, Boogie Woogie's song. The yeah, villain. and even that, I didn't. I mean, like, I couldn't hum you any of the tunes. Really? No. 
Not even the what's this? The first one where he's in in Christmas Town, well, discovering all the. That's the, only, that's the big musical. It, it is, but that, and that's probably the only one I could tr- probably remember the refrain from. Okay, interesting. Um, and I don't know if that's just my personal taste, which I, I'm pr- probably sure it is. But it, yeah, it did, so it, just, it was a bit of a mismatch. I just didn't quite engage. That's quite interesting, as you're a, a musical kind of man. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know why. It just you know, and it's one of those things. I can see why people absolutely love it. Mm. So I'm 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 kind of unsure as to why I just didn't connect. I, I, it was really weird. I was just sitting there watching, thinking I should love this, but I'm just yeah, I'm not into it, and I don't know why. Hmm. Um, so you know, I was, uh, afterwards I did a little bit of research into just some of the the facts and stuff about it, and it, I mean it's an interesting movie. Hmm. Um, one of the things I was trying to figure out was if I had children, at what age would I show it to them? Yeah. Because I was sitting there thinking, well, the whole Oogie Boogie thing, that is absolutely terrifying if you, if you were a small child. But then if you get a bit older, then you're, you're kind of less inclined to be excited about Christmas and stuff like that. So I found, I, that, that's what I found kind of weird, and I, I suspect why Disney branded it as uh, was it Touchstone. Yeah, it? they released it under, under the Touchstone banner rather than as an actual Disney film. So it was weird. I kind of was like, hey, I can see how this would be really difficult to market because mm. you, you, know, you can't really target an age range. But then maybe that's because that's what I'm used to seeing now, like with, with big, big family movies. They're mm. very much pitched at, a, at an age range. Yeah, you're right. I, I hadn't thought about that. What kind of, what, at what age would you show this to your children? Yeah, so that, I mean, I, I don't know why I was thinking that. It was just kind of, you know, so I was just trying to fathom the reasons why I didn't quite connect with it. And, I'd, you know, it might be because I've never been a big fan of Halloween. Um, mm. So I can imagine people who love horror would like it because it's kind of a fun take on it. Um, so yeah, it was just kind of really odd that you know that I didn't quite get that connection. Um, I found out some quite interesting things though. Yeah. Um, that there was a CGI sequel planned for a long time. Oh really? That uh, Burton put the kibosh on uh, because he's very very protective of it. Mm. And all credit to the companies involved that could probably have just overruled that and done it anyway, and they haven't. I think. Um, I think I saw somewhere, I don't know how true it is, that there's still ideas of a sequel. Mm. Um, but, that, but it was kind of like, well, what would you do? Would he go through another door in the forest? And if so, you just end up with a load of kind of hack movie, like the same again. It'd be but, the same, but, but with Easter, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, they, you know, I, th- I think it's been well avoided, and mm. for good reason. I think, you know, it, it, you know, despite the fact I didn't connect with it, I can see that it is a classic, and it should be protected as such. Mm. Um you mentioned one shot in particular where Jack reaches to the doorknob on the yeah. Christmas tree door and it, you've got the reflection on it and you just sit there and, you know, from a filmmaker's point of view, you kind of go, how, how, how the hell did they manage to do that without yeah. anything in shot? And, you know, so that's, uh, that, I mean, you know, we talked about how technically competent it is. That, yeah. that one shot just kind of raises it above any other stop motion animation that I can think of. By way of a little uh, expansion and explanation, it's essentially a very mundane close-up of just a doorknob and Jack's hand reaches in. But the doorknob is round and very shiny and you can see a reflection of Jack and the entire, essentially the entire forest behind him reflecting this doorknob. Apparently it was the hardest shot to do in the film. The other thing that struck me as well was um, that, I'm, you know, like I said before, this would work quite well on the stage and I'm surprised there's never been a, like a big Broadway stage production. Hmm. Um, I, I've, I think I, when I was doing a bit of research, I, I saw that you know some high schools had kind of done a version of it, but no one's actually 
taken it and done a you know because it would be you know you could make it into a, a like a stage musical quite easily yeah nobody's done the big bucks version no exactly so it's that, quite amazing considering people make spider-man musicals well exactly yeah yeah you'd think you know it would be much higher up on the list um but then i guess you know maybe it's been pushed forward and, and knocked mm. back by various parties i don't know and again i think it's a shame that um the director henry Selick, his name kind of gets a bit lost because mm. it's all Elfman, Tim Burton, and it's a bit like well, he he did a lot of the hard work here, and it, you know, it's not. Uh, I know he's done lots, you know, lots of things since. I think he did Coraline and the uh, other the the other three big things Corpse on his Bride. CV. Are, no, he didn't. That was Tim Burton. Oh, Tim Burton actually yeah, done no, one. Um, uh, he did Coraline, Monkey Bone, which is a bizarre. Um, it's Brendan Fraser yeah. having all sorts of wacky semi-animated adventures, and uh, James and the Giant Peach. Which right, of course yes. is part, part stop motion. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I did say it kind of left me a bit cold. But one of the things I did really like was uh, when Jack's trying to figure out what, why Christmas is Christmas, and he's doing all the equations on his blackboard and, yes. and all that kind of stuff. I thought all of that was great, and mm. you know, there's lots of fun little things happening within the within the screen at any one time. You know, and it, it's it's one of the things. It's great to watch, but I, again, I just. It just didn't engage, and I don't know why. It just left me feeling a bit meh. Interesting. I wonder if uh, you said you're not a fan of Halloween, and to be honest, neither am I. Mm. Um, I wonder if uh, Corpse Bride would engage you more. Possibly. That, I, don't, I don't really know much about that. That doesn't have the Halloween storyline. It's still stop motion. It's still musical. Right. Um, I, I'm thinking of rewatching it myself. Uh, okay. In the next few weeks, so uh, if I feel strongly enough about it, you uh, you may get pitched. Okay. Yeah. No. I've, again, like I say, I've nothing against this film at all. I think it, you know it is a masterclass of stop motion animation, and mm. it's this luscious score. It just again, it just just left me cold for no real reason. I don't know why. So I'd be quite happy to see something similar and see if it engages me a bit more. Okie dokie. Well, I guess um, it's from animated skeletons to Eddie Murphy, isn't it? It is indeed. Go on. Yeah. So uh, last week I pitched Kieran Trading Places, um, 1980s uh, John Landis comedy. I did a really, really bad job last week of pitching this. You might not have. Depends how I edit it. Okay. Right. I might have done a really bad job of <laughs> pitching this last week. Um, it's uh, it's a complex story, but the try I'll try and sum it up as briefly as I can very quickly. Um, two elderly futures brokers their company is managed by dan Aykroyd's character uh, and between them they have a they encounter uh they encounter eddie murphy's character who's like a a down and out thief kind of you know con man sort of thing and they decide to have a bet if they swap places would their company still succeed and would dan Aykroyd's character be driven to crime so that's the basic setup uh, and it kind of happens over the Christmas New Year period, which is why I decided to pitch it as a Christmas movie to Kieran. And uh, we're now about to find out what he thinks, and I'm not sure he liked it, judging by that face. <laughs> well, um, you, you're quite good at reading faces, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No? This is a comedy classic, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're, we're fighting two things here. Okay. I don't like Eddie Murphy. Yeah, no. I, I don't, don't like John Landis. Oh, really? Okay. No. He... Uh, John Landis does not have an 
ounce of subtlety to him. No. Not one. No. And that's not my style of comedy at all. Okay. It runs for one and three quarter hours. Yeah. And I laughed one and three quarter times. I've oh, noted really? down the time codes <laughs> right. of when I actually laughed in this film. Okay, well, let's start with that then. What did you find funny? Uh, there's a gag about an hour and 12 minutes in. Right. Where uh, Dan Aykroyd is in a Santa suit yes. and he's raiding the he's raided the uh, um, the buffet, yes. stuffing salmon into his suit and all the rest yeah. of it. So you're laughing at that. Uh, yeah, I didn't laugh at that. No, no, I laughed when he's in uh, he's he's uh, trying to frame Murphy by put spreading drugs in his uh, in his office drawer. Right, uh, Murphy comes in and catches him, and Aykroyd pulls a gun. Yeah, um, and Eddie Murphy picks up the phone. Yeah, and says. And what's he say? Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, he picks up the phone, and says "Hello, security," and at that moment, Acro pulls a gun. Yeah. And Murphy clocks it and just says "Merry Christmas" and slams the phone down. That made me laugh. <laughs> okay. All right. And then uh, uh, the only other time I laughed yeah. was about twenty minutes later, when uh, when they've joined up and they're buddy buddy and they're going to uh, take down the the Statler and Waldorf brothers or yes. whatever they're called. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Dan Aykroyd is doing his hair in the bathroom mirror. With a, with a comb. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy stands next to him <laughs> yeah. and gets out an Afro pick. Yeah. And that made me laugh as well. Okay. Um, that was it. Really? Yeah. No, this it didn't engage me at all. Oh, interesting that we managed to do that on both sides yeah. of the podcast this Amazing. Week. And with Christmas movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's the bits of it, there's loads of it that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, again, I mentioned the ending last time. I still can't work that out. I'm still not sure it makes sense. No, no, I didn't get a chance to ask my girlfriend and yeah. see uh, my financially minded girlfriend and see what she uh, uh, thought of this and yeah. if she could make any sense of it. But no, it just uh, lost me completely, baffled. Yeah, no idea how they won. No, 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 doesn't, I make, no doesn't make any sense. There is a little side note to that actually. The, the next John Landis Eddie Murphy vehicle was a film called Coming to America, uh, where he plays a prince that comes to America to, in search of a wife. And there's a nice little bit in that where. Um, the two brothers are down and outs on the oh, street yeah, corner yeah. and uh, Eddie Murphy's Prince character walks past them and throws them a thousand dollars and they're like, we're back on our feet. And that was kind of a nice little throwback to the movie. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, I think you're right. They are a bit Statler and Waldorf. Yeah. But not as funny. There were so many things that were just... dumb. Yeah. The the scene where Acro's character is accused mm-hmm. he uh, of... Uh, where, where he's initially framed by the two brothers, or rather their beaks, their hitman yes. kind of yeah, yeah. fixer kind of guy. Yeah. Now, if there was a live-action Simpsons movie, he'd be Principal Skinner. Well, he would be if he wasn't dead. But yes. No, yeah. that's true. Yes. Yeah. With uh, Rich Hall as Mo the Bartender. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. See, casting. Um, yeah. These are these are kind of like high-powered traders, mm-hmm. and yet the sting to set him up is three Mark fifty dollar bills in a wallet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is planted on him. Surely there would be better, more creative ways. Well, quite possibly. And yeah. yeah, you know, that's given the levels of money they deal with. Mm-hmm. That's a slap on the wrist offence. That's not a fireable offence. A sackable right. offence. Yeah. And why would he have set anybody up? Why would he have left those? There's no mention before that there. There's no rumour going around that there's a thief in the building who's right. been stealing things out of wallets. Nothing like that. It's yeah. just this guy's stolen three three mark bills. Right. Well, great. And. Yeah. I'm not advocating stealing 150 bucks out of somebody's <laughs> wallet, but do you see what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I do, I do absolutely. There see were what better ways. There would have, I think, there could have been better ways to integrate setting him up within the world it's set in. Gotcha. I see. Than, right, I see. So like a tra- like a uh, like a a trade gone wrong or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Anything like that. Anything right. like that. I gotcha. Um, 
Is there anything I liked about this film? No, I might just well, well read my notes verbatim. I'm looking over the table and I see you've got two pages, more than two pages, yeah. and I'm staggered as to how the hell you got that out of this film. Uh, I've got half a dozen sentences, really, right? pretty much, and two of those are the laughs. Yeah. Um, you will never, ever see Dan Aykroyd build over Eddie Murphy again. That surprised me when, when the... Uh, yeah, well, at, at the time... I it, guess it was 1983, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. So I think at the time, I, I, I'm not sure if this is exactly right but i think the only thing eddie murphy had done prior to this was 48 hours so this might only be like his second or third movie yeah whereas dan uh, Aykroyd was off the back of blues brothers yeah and was, yeah yeah and they were gearing up for ghostbusters yeah. and he was an snl star at worst was eddie murphy to some you know to another extent um I, I don't know if i mentioned the whole gene wilder richard pryor thing last week yes did, yes yeah. he did yeah and i know he was very worried about being uh, just another uh, richard pryor, another richard pryor, pryor yeah. so yeah. Yeah, we yeah. need another funny black man. Yeah, exactly, yeah. This one yeah. will do. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's what I think he, he was quite worried about. But, you know, off the back of this, he ended up doing Beverly Hills Cop and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, which I saw an interview with Eddie Murphy that said he was... I was just was, about uh, to say this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he was offered Ghostbusters yeah. and turned it down and ended up doing Beverly Hills Cop instead. Yeah, he said that was one of his biggest regrets of his career. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there was other things. I think mo- mo- you see all my pages here. Most of them are notes of things like, you know, Ronnie Barker was going to play the uh, Denim Elliot. Tom's phone's ringing. Let's, yeah. let's do this on the air. Go for it. No. No? No. All right, carry on. Talk about Ronnie Barker some more. That was it, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, no, yeah, uh, he was offered it, but um, so he didn't want to, you know, he wasn't in the, so he didn't want to go to Hollywood and make a big Hollywood movie. Yeah. Or, or as he saw it, anyway. Do a um, bit more porridge. Exactly, yeah. 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 That's far better, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have preferred 90 minutes of that. Yeah, but it's interesting, because, it, I mean, this is one when, sometimes when you mention it to people, they're like, oh, I love Trading Places, and, you know, like, my, my wife, she, we have to watch it every Christmas. Mm. It, you know, it's one of the quintessential Christmas mm films we, we we have to watch and her and her brother can quote probably the entire movie i'm probably gonna get a slap from her next time i see i think you probably yeah. will yeah yeah and uh, it, it's quite interesting i mean literally even, she even quotes the lines that aren't even gags or setups to gags just yeah. the exposition she can quote it because she's watched it that much um so yeah it's uh, it's interesting that he didn't i he just didn't, didn't, didn't find like any it. jokes in it interesting no it's just eddie murphy shouts some things mm-hmm. um uh, there's no sight gags. There's no clever verbal gags. There's just there was just nothing to it for me. Right. And I don't think there's ever been anything less funny than Dan Aykroyd in blackface. Yeah. Oh my good lord. Yeah, that was that was one of the things that really surprised me because mm. I mentioned this last week. That yeah. There's a, there's a, they they do a lot of. Uh, play on the fact that the two older brothers are very old school and uh, have a racist attitude towards Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And a lot of the laughs for that are played in the how can they how can they say that? And you get a lot of Eddie Murphy looking to camera with a kind of a, you know one of those faces if you just heard what they said sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um and the original it, title was Black and White. It was, yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of intriguing that you know they they kind of make that setup of that you know we we're, we're making these jokes but we're laughing at the, the racist people, and then Eddie, uh, Dan Aykroyd walks in in black up as a Jamaican, a Jamaican as yeah. a Rastafarian, and it's like, okay, you've kind of just bashed that over there, didn't you? That whole scene on the train yeah. drove me nuts. Really? Yeah. Why? Why does Beaks not move compartment when the first crazy people move in? 
Right. There's a big train. He can go anywhere he likes on that train. Yeah. You know, even the, that's beside from the fact that he should recognise every single one of them as soon as they come in. He's had a fairly significant dealing with each one, so he should recognise them. Mm-hmm. Um, why, if it's a costume party, are our four heroes pretending to be various national racial or racial stereotypes instead of wearing, you know, better costumes? Right. <laughs> I, I it's a know. costume party. You can all show up in masks and ambush the guy in Nicky's briefcase. You don't have to pretend to be Jamaican or whatever the hell Jamie Lee Curtis thought she was being. <laughs> she or was an African prince. She was supposed or, to be Swedish but couldn't do the accent. Yes. So she just ended up being Austrian. No, she, she was supposed, supposed to be Austrian, Austrian yeah. and just did a Swedish accent. Cause, yes. Because yeah, she couldn't do an Austrian yeah. mom. It just, it, uh, none of it made a lick of sense to me. Right. And uh, yeah, it didn't help. Um, I don't think I've got anything else on this. It just, yeah, it coasted along being nothing. There were two laughs, and then it drove me absolutely bananas towards the end. Fair enough. Although there's something slightly amusing about a man in a gorilla suit being humped by a, a man in a slightly <laughs> crummier... Well, I did, I'm, I'm yeah. decided as to whether the uh, quote-unquote gorilla was uh, had a better suit than the man dressed as a gorilla. Right. <laughs> Okay, well, perhaps then after uh, those two disasters, well, not disasters, but, um, you know, two films we're not that bothered about, why don't we uh, move on to the top five films that we've seen this year? Yes, um, I've got seven in my top five. Okay. I've managed to separate them off, though, so I've got I've got a five. They're not really in any particular order. I've got a five. Yeah. And I've got two honourable mentions, I think. Okay, fair enough. I, I I probably did have that and then just forgot the honourable mentions. And I've also got two movies that haven't come out yet that I haven't seen that I'd quite like to see. Right. So This segment's not going to work, is it? Well, we'll see how we, it goes. We've each bent the rules in different uh, ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. Um, uh, well, have, do you, are yours in any kind of particular order? Um, not really. Okay. But kind of. I think I can guess what your number one's going to be yeah, before we you, even start. I think you probably can. Yeah. But... Um, so, uh, how about I start with the one that you might slap me for? Okay. One of the movies I picked, I know you're going to hate me for saying this, but it was Transformers Dark of the Moon. If this table wasn't between us. <laughs> I know, I know. That sounded too romantic. If this table wasn't between <laughs> us. Now, the reason I chose this is I, I really love Transformers. I, 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 in fact, I'm so into it that I even enjoyed the second one, which everybody hates. Oh, my. I know. You find ways, week upon week, for my respect for you to just <laughs> plummet. I love Transformers as well, but I have standards. Come on, that second movie was awful. It is awful, but as long as there's a car, turning into a robot and hitting something I'm quite thoroughly entertained oh man I know I know I know but I have to say in its defence the third one is infinitely better than the second one okay Uh, they've actually borrowed uh, some of the plot lines from the episodes from the cartoons particularly in seasons one and two when it was at its best um so I, I was kind of like, well, I, I could kind of see little thread lines and little homages to that. Which that and I quite enjoyed that as a, as a fan who, who loves the cartoons as well. See, now I could geek out over Transformers. Mm. I think there are far better stories in the comics than there ever were in the cartoon series. Yeah, I never, um, I never read the comics. See, so. see uh, I'm hoping to score some geek points with some listeners by mentioning Simon Furman, right. who was uh, just a really really excellent writer mm. when it came came to Transformers he took over the run of the comic yeah. and gave it a mythology um, introduced one of my fa- perhaps it's because I read it when I was quite young and, and, and growing up just a really clever time travel story right. which 
linked a whole load of different plot elements together because he would have to deal with things that were going on in the US version of the comic and the cartoon and the UK comic and have to try and make it all make sense. Okay. Plus, he had to deal with a movie that was set 20 years in the future yeah. in which some of the characters he was writing about in his day got killed. Yeah. Uh, and somehow tie that all together and right. that's kind of yeah that's that's where my love of transformers really comes from okay interesting now what, what i also found interesting is this is a i went to see it in 3d right um and I'm, i will say i'm not a massive advocate of 3d i think it works in certain instances um in this instance it was great right um just because you know you got robots hitting each other and it's in 3d that's brilliant I've yet to see a 3D film that's convinced me that it should be in 3D. Okay, well... I haven't seen anything that's impressed me. Then I can segue very neatly into my next selection, which is TT3D, Closer to the Edge. Now, I have just signed up with a very well-known uh, streaming-slash-DVD rental company Right, you may have heard of. They they like film quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the first things I put in my basket. Okay, I good. I want to see this film. Yeah, now, for those of you who don't know what it's about, it's um, it's a documentary... And it's about motorbikes, specifically the TT race that happens in the Isle of Man every year. And it's like a, a there's a week long practice event and there's a week long race uh, race event. Um, I think there are five TT races of different class of motorbikes, and usually the riders will enter all five. So the TT stands for Tourist Trophy, uh, which means it's open to anybody. Um, that's why every year at least one person dies, because the the course is 27 miles long. And it usually is about, I think it's three or four laps or something like that. So the races, you know, are, are very long. It's incredibly dangerous because it's a road race. And these guys are bombing through villages at 200 miles an hour. And there's some very colourful characters. Uh, the, the main film is built around a, a biker called Guy Martin, who is just one of the weirdest people you will ever meet. He's got such an odd take on the world. It is brilliant and he's a joy to watch because he's he's just so funny uh, for anyone familiar with ricky gervais and his podcast and carl pilkington he's a bit like him so he's got this poor re- man yeah he's got this really odd way of looking at the world around him okay um as, as it says in the title it's shot in 3d um and for this documentary it really adds to it and what they try to do with rather than kind of really push the 3d they've tried to make it like you're standing on the edge of the road and these bikes whip past you so the depth of the depth is equal to what it would be if you were actually there okay um because at this race you can go and stand by the side of the road i mean there's no i mean there are grandstands around but you can just go and stand like behind a you know a dry stone wall and watch this race and run the risk of getting clapped yeah, into absolutely. by a bike at 200 yeah. miles an hour yeah i mean it, i mean how it hasn't been shut down by health and safety in these Rules modern are times, on the Isle of Man. I know, and I mean it's been going for over a hundred years. This mm. race, so I mean it's got. I think that might have something to do with the heritage of it. Though, that you know, it's very difficult for them to do that. Mm. Um, so the documentary deals with uh, Guy and his quest to win the TT, basically. Um, and you know, unfortunately, one of the riders dies, and they cover that, and they also interview his family and how they deal with that. And th- you know, there's lots of elements to this, as well as great onboard footage, which is also in 3D, which I think they did the 3D in post, right? Um, and then the the stuff they shot. Yeah, I can't imagine no. clamping a 3D, especially on a racing bike. Yeah. You know. Um, but having said that, it works really well. Hmm. Um, it, so it is a great movie, and 
interesting enough, I spoke to a film journalist who uh, has no interest in motorbikes, hardly any interest in motorsport. She saw it in 2D and she loved it. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, even if you've got no interest, it's well worth a watch. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I'm slightly uh, uh, disappointed that I'm not going to get to see it in 3D, but I will get to see it in a lovely HD Blu-ray form. Yes, absolutely. I mean, like I said, you don't have to watch it in 3D, mm. but like you said, this is a film that is, it does actually work and add seeing it in 3D. Okay, okay. What's your number three? <clears throat> another, another film I went to see in 3D. You haven't had 3D glasses off this year. I know. Out of my top five, three I saw in 3D. And this one, um, you pro- this one probably would be the same in 2D. Mm. Um, but the reason I went, because it was the end of a franchise, and it was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's, it's kind of an event movie. It's the end of a 10-year franchise. It was the first one in 3D. And it's just a massive battle at Hogwarts, and right. it's it's great. You know, it's really good. Um, it's much better than part one, which was lots of people in tents wandering about, almost Lord of the Rings boring. How do you wander around in a tent? You oh, don't get very far if you wander around in a tent. You do if it's a magic tent with lots of rooms. Oh, okay, a magic tent. I didn't think about it being a magic tent. I was picturing millets. No, no, no. It looks like that on the outside, but it's like the TARDIS. It's yeah. huge on the inside. It's got like five rooms. Huh. Um, My mum's a camper. Maybe I'll see if I can get her a magic tent. <laughs> Yeah. for next Christmas yeah um, so there's not much to say more than it's Harry Potter and it was the the last one it was in 3D it was a massive battle it was great um, one of my favourite moments is um, spoiler spoiler alert Voldemort dies at the end um, and Man. his uh, his ashes fly up into the air and that's one of the few times in the film where the 3D comes out of the screen mm-hmm. uh, and the 3D coming out of a screen I find tends to not work very well and 3D is much better put to use adding depth to the screen um, but this worked beautifully because you had the, it was like you was you had these little fluttering bits of ash in front of you and that that was you know it was it was good because it, it added to the poignancy of the the uh, the moment as it were um, so moving on I think this one's going to be on your list okay Super 8 yes Definitely. Um, I'd heard a lot about this movie, and I was a bit, oh, well, you know, it sounds interesting. I know everyone's raving about it. Sometimes that puts me off a little bit, or I don't give it the chance that I should. But I went in into the cinema with my wife, and we absolutely loved it, because it's just like, I mean, it's basically an, a good 80s kids movie, but made now. Yeah, it's a it's a real it's a real throwback. It's mm. the Goonies with yeah a massive alien. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, having loved films like that yeah. as a kid, just watching this, it was brilliant. And the kids were allowed to swear in a PG. I don't know if it was a PG. I think it got a twelve A over here. Really? I think it was PG thirteen in the states and twelve A. Oh, well, twelve A. Well, even twelve A. You know, yeah. the fact that they were allowed to swear in, yeah. in a film it, like it, that. It would have been a PG had it been made in nineteen eighty six. Exactly. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that I mean, that is a brilliant film. And if I think if you're if you were born in the eighties or late seventies, definitely see this movie. Yeah, I uh, I got to see it a little bit early. I was in the US on, right, on its opening yeah. weekend, and for some unknown reason, it took another two months to come over to the UK. Uh, mm. So I went and saw it opening weekend. I think there were maybe 20 people in the screen with me. Yeah. But every single one of them was just enjoying it from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, and I would say the best bit is it's good all the way through, but the best bit is in the end credits. 
go on, oh, when you see the Where movie. Where you get to see the Super 8 film Absolutely, that they, they're yeah. making throughout, uh, yeah. throughout the course of the movie. Yeah, and, and it's one of those things that I also think that, you know, we're also inclined to like it because our, our background is in short filmmaking. Yeah. So, it, you know, it kind of harked back to that and we've shot stuff on Super 8. So it was kind of, you know, it was kind of fun to almost have a movie that we would have watched as kids doing something about something we did as teenagers yeah. and then now seeing it as adults. Yeah. It was kind of a weird little... It was almost like it was made multi level nostalgia. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was kind of made for us in a way, which was great. Um, so, yeah, that was really good. Excellent. Um, do you want to talk any more about Super 8 or shall I move on to my number no, one? No, okay, you carry on. I think uh, we said we need to see it. Same Excellent. Super 8. So, my number one, which won't be surprising to anybody that knows me, is Senna. Yep. And that's on my list as well. Oh, fantastic. Now, that I'm really pleased about mm. because I'm a massive Formula One fan mm-hmm. and I have been ever since I was a kid. I grew up watching Ayrton Senna. And Alan Prost and Nicky Lauda and all of that crowd uh, race. And I can remember watching pivotal races that feature in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really excited when this was coming out because, you know, it's right on my street. I love this film. What I, what, what I was very surprised at was when people I knew who didn't like Formula One or weren't interested in motorsport were saying, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And again, a few film journalists that we know had no interest but had to see it for their yeah. reviews and stuff and were coming out saying it was, it was one of the best films of the year it's fantastic and that just made me want to see it even more mm. and you know I went out first night it was released went to see it with my family and just blew me away absolutely loved it yeah it's a it's a fantastic documentary uh, I am essentially the complete opposite of you absolutely yeah. I can see it while there's a race going on in the background but I don't really follow it no. um, I used to sort of follow it around this kind of era right um, but don't, I don't have that kind of emotional attachment that you do yeah so you know I didn't recognise any footage that was in there or anything like that no no um, uh, for a non-motorsport fan it tells you everything you need to know about the sport absolutely um, sets up the the personalities of the main drivers yeah the, the rivalry between Senna and Alan Prost thank you very much uh, I'd had a little blank there <laughs> I knew it wasn't Nigel Mansell I didn't see any big moustaches um, but yeah yeah, yeah the, the rivalry the rivalry between Senna and Prost is set up really well and you get to see them kind of yeah dueling on and off the track with, with words and with cars yeah um, yeah it's a a fascinating portrait of a very interesting and very charismatic man. Absolutely, yeah. And it plays like a feature film. Yes. It's not like a documentary. It's got it's got the peaks and troughs and kind of uh, hit points that a feature film would have. It doesn't stop moving, much, much no. like a Formula One car. It, yeah. it, it's got an amazing momentum to yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, what else? It kind of, you know, my wife is also a massive Formula One fan. Mm. And she, she kind of came into watching Formula One when Schumacher was becoming dominant and didn't really watch much pre that with Senna and Prost or she liked Prost more at the time mm. um, but what it did for for us was we we, uh, we ended up going back and finding old season reviews so we've recently watched things like the 1986 season review and the, and the 1982 season review movie night at your place must be fascinating and, but they're brilliant because um, I mean the you know the racing action's fantastic and stuff. some of the best ones they're narrated by Clive James who just has all what? these qu- exactly yeah there's one I'll have to lend it to you because I'm sure Kandra would be quite interested 1986 is one of the closest championships ever fought uh, up until probably last year's um and uh yeah it's not no, this year's i know enough about this year no this is yeah, a washout no, anyway sorry. um yeah so uh 
yeah and he narrates it and there's loads of quips in it and it, it's it's very entertaining and very funny um so you know help me rediscover something that i you know i hadn't watched for a long time and it was um yeah no i absolutely loved this film and i've you know got the blu-ray and i recommend it to everybody to see this film because i think like you said he's a very charismatic man and he's mm. very inspiring coming out of it you feel quite inspired to achieve as much as you humanly can i think yes he certainly tried to in a in a a short short lifetime yeah and and i think you know that that's kind of a nice added bonus to it it's not just about a guy who drives a car it's a lot more feeling to that so anyway i'll let you get on with your list because i could talk about senna for weeks i know you could i I probably should cut you off before that um You can edit me out, it's fine. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, you've, you've covered two of the five I have. Okay, uh, so, so that was Senna and Super 8. That was Senna and Super 8. Um, I'm going to start with a film that I had very low expectations of. I saw the trailer, okay. and I thought it was a joke. Right. It, just everything about it just screamed parody okay. until I saw the title card at the end. Okay. What swung me mm. was I saw an interview with the director. Okay. Um, and I can't figure out what this is. I thought okay, now I want to see it. Right. And I went to a movie event in the summer where I got to see a screening. Yeah. It's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Right, now I haven't seen this. Right. Um, this, I was so surprised. There's things wrong with it. I've got mm. logic issues yeah. with a couple of, couple of moments You always do it. with blockbusters, though. I know. I, we need think. to find a way to switch that bit of your brain off when you no, go and see big no, blockbusters. No, 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 no. Be critical. Don't stand <laughs> for rubbish. <laughs> There's, there's, nobody will get better if you just blank out all the crap. I suppose. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> anyway, the first, first podcast argument here. Anyway, <laughs> Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Um, yeah, I found myself thoroughly enjoying it. Interesting. It, it works on a big kind of blockbuster spectacle level. Yeah. It works on a technical level because mm-hmm. the Andy Serkis's yeah. performance and the, the special effects surrounding that performance the digital ape yeah he portrays is almost flawless i've i've seen um clips obviously and yeah him as the ape is just stunning yeah he's um, truly amazing he's uh i honestly hope he is given a best supporting actor right oscar yeah. at least nomination he's yeah. I, he's the best thing about this film interesting um and it's a good film for a blockbuster it also has some very subtle moments as well okay there are moments that in every other big hollywood movie would just be rammed home yeah. or you get a, a an ex a line of exposition dialogue added in in adr later right to try and push this point home mm-hmm. but in here it'll be communicated with a look and move on and everybody knows what's happened okay um it's, it's interesting because you haven't seen any of the originals have you uh this is my first planet of the apes film now see i'm not sure if this ruins the first one or not i couldn't tell you so now i i, I it's something i have considered putting into pitch you so maybe i will if you really sure. enjoyed it I, i'm not sure you'd, you'd like it as much mm. but it would be interesting to see what your take is on it and then you can you can see how much they've evolved the franchise if you like yeah, how they've, they've changed it. It'd be interesting to see because I haven't seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes, but I fully maybe intend we need to, to have a maybe we need to have a Planet of the Apes special. Yeah, perhaps we should. Yeah, yeah that'd so, be quite uh, cool. Yeah, um, like I said, it's not flawless, no. and I'm not going to dwell on any other problems with it. No, but the more I think about it, the more I want to see it again. Oh, that's that's always what you want when you walk out of a movie, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, my next pick is something yeah. else I don't think you've seen. Okay, and I don't think would appeal to you. Okay. Attack the Block. 
I have seen it. Have you? Yeah. Did you like it? No. Interesting. You don't like the chavs in it. Yeah. Yeah. I. Oh, yeah. I. All the main characters. Not interested. Didn't like them. Didn't care who died. Okay. At all. Okay. And I. I just. I couldn't get into it at all. Um. Yeah. And and <laughs> one of the main reasons I, I saw it was because my mum's friend plays the grandma of one of the kids. Yes. Um. But I. I. Yeah. Uh, but interestingly enough. My mum loved it. Huh. Um, well, I say loved it. She really enjoyed it. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I just couldn't get into it. I just didn't really like it. Was the was the language a barrier? No, not particularly. I just didn't like the characters. Okay. Um, I, I, again, I thought it was well-directed, great idea, you know, good on a budget mm-hmm. for what it was. But I yeah, just didn't really like the characters, mostly. And because I couldn't engage with them, I just didn't really enjoy it. Okay, interesting. So why did you like it? I just went along for the ride. Okay. I just suddenly realised you managed to switch that thing off in your brain. It it didn't have the logic problem. Okay. That the, the, those kind of summer movies have. Yeah. Is it a summer movie? Not really, I suppose. Um, yeah. It all made sense. Right. And that to me is that's the golden. Ticket, yeah. Isn't yeah. It? It's got yeah. to make sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just got an hour in and just realised I was really enjoying it. Yeah. That's good. That's good when a movie does that, though. Yeah. I think. It's the same feeling oh. I got. It's not on the same level, but it's the same feeling I got the first time I saw Shaun of the Dead. Right, okay. Which is one of my favourite films. Yeah. It's interesting because one of my honourable mentions, I had the same thing. I got halfway through, I was like, wow, I'm really enjoying this. Hmm. Um, but I will come to honourable mentions at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. sure. Um, I think, though, my favourite film of the year was a very, it's a very small film. Right. It's not... British, it's not American. Right. But it's the funniest thing I've seen in years. Okay. And it's The Guard. Oh, now I want to see this. I haven't seen this. Oh, you, like I, like snappy dialogue. Yeah. Like the odd bit of dark humour. Yes. This, I just, I just found it hysterical from start to finish. Yeah. Um, It's by the the brother of the guy that did In Bruges, isn't it? And I love that film. Yeah. That's a, that, a, that's a great film. Yeah, and when I saw the trailer and clips for this, I was like, "This, this looks like it's the same people doing it." And it just, yeah, I've been dying to see this. Yeah, it pretty much is much like Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It's it is flawed. It's not yeah. a perfect film. No. Um, it suffers in places through its lack of budget. Right. Uh, but um, I should probably explain. You did very long synopses for all of your your picks, and I'm just going, "Ah, oh, I love it! Hey, it's brilliant!" Blah blah blah. Why didn't you like attack the block, you weirdo? <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, uh, Brendan Gleeson is a uh, is a, a police officer in small rural Ireland. Yeah. Um, some drug dealers, international drug dealers, come to his town. Mm-hmm. Um, I should also point out that he is a very laid back man. He doesn't really care what's going on. Right. Um, he avails himself of the local ladies of the night. Right. Uh, yeah, he's a, just a grumpy, grumpy old man. Mm. Uh, and into this picture comes Don Cheadle, yeah. who's the sharp-suited FBI agent who's trying to track down these drug dealers. And they are forced to team up to, to get these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a culture clash comedy with some just sparkling dialogue. The dialogue is the best thing about it, I think. Yeah. Um, it just it's amazing lines and fantastic insults just flowing from everybody um although there is one kind of exception to that it's mark strong's character he plays one of the one of the drug dealers 
I think they're drug dealers. I'm sure there's drugs involved. Anyway, um, and Mark Strong is um, he's a villain with no motivation. He doesn't care why they're there. <laughs> right. He doesn't. He's not. He's not fussed about the money. He's just doing it because it's something to do. <laughs> right. Um, nice. Yeah. It just spoke to me. It made me laugh. Uh, I had tears rolling down my face when I Excellent. saw it. Um, it comes highly recommended. Oh, well, maybe maybe when it's all. available, you can you can pitch it to me. Uh, maybe I will. It's uh, it's available on on DVD now. Okay. Well, well I that know almost that. sounded like a uh, like an advert. Yeah, it did. The Guard available on DVD now at all good stores. <laughs> well, um, should we move on to honourable mentions? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple. Yeah, I, I'll do my one first because I've no. got I've got one honourable mention and a couple of movies that haven't come out yet. That I'm quite keen to see. Okay. Um, so my honourable mention, quite surprisingly, goes to X Men First Class. I haven't seen that yet. No, I'm thinking of pitching it to you because I I found I, I was just, I wasn't again like you. I didn't go to see it in the cinema because mm. you know I wasn't that bothered by the first three. Mm. They're okay, not great. Um, they're, and they're well, the first two are Brian Singer shouting "I'm gay and adopted" for two <laughs> hours at a time, and the third one is Brett Ratner being Brett Ratner. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think my wife and I watched the first one together ages ago. She got thoroughly bored by it, so she didn't want to go and spend money seeing it in the cinema. Um, but I kind of wish we had now. Um, so we re- we rented the Blu-ray, mm. and um, it's great, really good, because it's basically a '60s spy thriller, but with Superpowers. Superpowers. Marvellous. Um, yeah, and it, and there's... You know, we were talking about a few weeks ago with um, Andromeda Strain, with all the split screen and stuff, you don't yeah. really see it. They do that. It's huh. like, brilliant. A modern film where they're actually having fun with the format. And so there's some lo- lots of fun stuff in it, but I'll... Um, I'm going to rewatch it and pitch it to you at some point in, sure. in the near future. I would think. Excellent, good. It's it's one of those things that after it came out and was getting good reviews, it was something I thought about going to see. But I was so put off by the Wolverine film, which was just oh, that was an terrible abomination. I, bizarrely enough, I saw a bit of that last night, and my god, the special effects in that are worthy of Birdemic. Did you did you watch all of it? No, no, no. I gave I gave up. It was so awful. Ah, uh, then you missed I, the best special effect of all at the end, where really? Patrick Stewart's face falls off his head. Oh God! Yeah, I was. I just. Oh, I, I felt a bit sorry for Hugh Jackman, really, because I just thought he yeah. he loves playing that character and he does it really well. It's just unfortunate that the you know it's such a terrible movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was a real shame. Um, so yeah, do, do you want to do your honourable mentions? Yeah, uh, they're both um, both comedies, really. Uh, the first is the Inbetweeners movie. Okay, I'm a big fan of the series. Yeah, so am I. I don't around to watching the film. Yet. Uh, and my girlfriend and I went to see the movie. Yeah, uh, and much like The Guard, it's just we were rolling around but for very different reasons. Right, like, The Guard is all you know, clever dialogue. Yeah, The Inbetweeners is just rude humour you know yeah. the in between this humour yeah absolutely yeah yeah um, it made us laugh all the way through interesting um, although not as much as the 70 something woman who was sat next to us right who laughed at the rudest <laughs> jokes any any time all four boys um, are disrobed yes. shall we say fully disrobed right. at various points in the movie yeah. every time there was a male member on the screen <laughs> She was in fits of laughter. Right. Uh, she was laughing at the filthiest sex jokes, yeah. everything. Brilliant. And we, when she came in, we were wondering, God, does she know what she's been brought to see? Because she had her daughter with <laughs> right. her. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That. I just. Yeah. It's very. It's not 
To be perfectly honest, it's not a great movie. It's yeah. probably better suited to TV. Well, this is the thing. That's why I didn't go and see it in the cinema yeah. because I thought I'd probably enjoy it more watching it on DVD or quite possibly. Yeah, you know, so that's you know, that's just why I haven't seen it yet. But it's easily as funny as any episode of the series. Oh, that's that's good to hear. Um, my other honourable mention, yeah, is Troll Hunter. Oh, I've heard about this, and yeah, yeah, uh, a, a, a Norwegian mock documentary, yeah, uh, about. Um, about uh, a docu- a they're not a documentary crew. What are they? They are they're student filmmakers right. who are, are investigating um, lots of bear related incidents mm. in their area. Uh, there's uh, all sorts of livestock has been killed and it's being attributed to bears, um, but there's something that doesn't add up. And then mm. they find their their mission. They set themselves the task of finding this tracker, this this well known hunter. Who uh, who's been tasked to take out the bears? And when they find him, they find he's not hired to take out bears. He's been hired to take out trolls, right. which is the real reason all this livestock <laughs> is dying. Um, it's an interesting way of doing a monster movie. Right. A film I, re- I like a lot is Cloverfield, right? Which yeah. to me is a really interesting way of doing a monster movie. Yeah. And this is in that vein, mm-hmm. not in that. But it's not doesn't have that kind of seriousness. Shaky and cam and shaky cam. Yeah. It does a bit, but. Yeah. Um, the the troll effects are all really good, yeah. Um, and it contains the best religion joke I've heard in ages. Okay, um, highly recommended. Okay, I'll have to look out for that. Well, I've got a couple of films that I haven't got around to seeing yet, which I very much want to see um, and could have got into my list potentially. Okay, um, I really want to go and see Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. So do I. Um, I really enjoyed the third one that J.J. Abrams did, and everything I've seen from the from this new one, the fourth one, effectively, just looks really good fun. Yes, uh, I I'm of the opinion that Mission Impossible Three is the best of the series. Yeah, I think I think I'd agree with that. The first one is fun and doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The second one is boring, which is so annoying because it's a John Woo film. Yeah. and I love John Woo. There's films. a few little nice action bits in it, but yeah. not enough to make a movie. Yeah, uh, uh, but the third one I really like. Yeah, same. Um, yeah. So, yes, I too am keen to see this, especially on IMAX. I've heard good things yeah. about it on IMAX. Yeah, see, I haven't really gone to see much on IMAX. Um, and I have a horrible feeling I'm not going to get the chance to see this on IMAX. I don't know whether I should really, really make the effort to do it or whether mm. I should, you know, not and just see it normally. Um, the other thing that I'm really quite looking forward to is uh, Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows. Uh, yes, me too. Uh, uh, by the time this goes out, I will have seen it. Uh, right. I'm actually going to see it in real time. I'm going to see it tomorrow. Right, okay. Uh, Interesting. Because, I, I, again, the first one was one I wasn't sure about. Not a fan of Guy Ritchie, really. No, me uh, neither. Not a massive fan of Jude Law, either. No. And, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr., I can take or leave. Some things I think is brilliant, other things think, mm, yeah, yeah. sure. But I really loved the first film. Mm. I, th- I really enjoyed it. And watched it again recently, and, again, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the new one. The bits I've seen have really entertained me, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, Excellent. Good. Yes, uh, I am also looking forward to both of those films. Yeah, and uh, the other film I'm looking forward to seeing actually segues very nicely into the film I'm going to pitch you today. Okay. Um, in fact, I've got a whole wonderful array of segues into this movie. Oh, good. Let's hear at least three. Okay. Uh, the first one. Okay. So the movie that I'd like to go and see is called The Artist, and it's recently been nominated for six Golden Globes. Yes, it's now, doing. It's reviewing particularly well. Yeah. Uh, there's a huge buzz from the, about this movie, and what stands it out is it's a silent film. Yes. And it, and it, and when I say a silent film, I mean it. You think I say silent film? You think 1920s black and white, four by three, title cards. That's what this is. Uh, yet it was made this year. Yeah. Um, 
it looks really good, really entertaining, and really interesting. Um, and because that seems to be in vogue, and we're going into 2012 soon, very shortly. Yes. Um, I thought, why Is that don't two I? Two segues. Yeah, that's like two good, segues. Like I'm just good, trying good, to think yeah. of the third right, one. You get one more. Yeah, damn. Um, <laughs> okay, so that segues me very nicely into a film that is 90 years old next year. Okay. Um, it's one of the classic comedies of all time and is quite frequently ranked up in the, in the, the, the top lists of comedies. You know, mm-hmm. those lists that yeah, people yeah, yeah. do. Um, it's called Safety Last and it stars Harold Lloyd. Excellent. Um, now, Harold Lloyd is probably... The, the, <laughs> there's a trilogy of silent comics and Harold Lloyd's always the third one. Yeah, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, Keaton and the and other Harold guy. Lloyd. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's known for one thing, isn't he, really? Pretty much. Which is in this movie. Yeah. yeah. That, when, when, uh, but interestingly enough, I think when, when people say silent movie, one of the first images they think of is a guy hanging off a clock. Yes. And that is Harold Lloyd, and that yes. is this movie. Um, now, Charlie Chaplin, brilliant character actor, brilliant comedian. Buster Keaton, incredible stuntman, yes. and incredibly deadpan, and very, very funny. I'm a big fan of Buster Keaton. So I'm a huge fan yeah. of Buster Keaton. What I love about Harold Lloyd was he was the guy that started to pull together the character, the stunts, the comedy, and the plot. So a lot of the other short, the other, the other silent films often seem like little, set, little comedy sketches, set pieces stuck together, you know, and complex, vague plots. But Harold Lloyd was one of the people that really started to pull things together into a cohesive movie. Well, a lot of them in that age were still just two reels, weren't well, they? Well, exactly, Tw- Just 20-minute, yeah. effectively short film. Yeah, well, this one's only 70 minutes. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's still not... I mean, when you watch it, it's still very much, you know, comedy segments... Pardon me. <laughs> I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, when you watch this one, it's still very much comedy segments, and there, are, you know, there are setups and payoffs and gags and what have you. But mm. you know, there is a through-line plot, which I will attempt to explain. Um, there are four main characters: the boy, the girl, the pal, and the policeman. Okay, that's how they're credited. Excellent. Um, the boy is Harold Lloyd. The girl is Mildred Davis, the uh, pal is Bill Struthers, and I can't remember the name of the policeman because I don't think it's on IMDb. Um, and basically, uh, the boy goes off to the big city to make his fortune so he can send for his girl and they can get married. Okay. It's a very, I mean, in a silent films, that's, you know, probably 50% of silent films yeah, have yeah, that yeah. plot. It's a very tried and tested plot. Um, he doesn't quite become successful yet he tries to keep his girl back home interested by saying he is and he sends like he buys her a lavalier and he sends it to her uh, and he says that there isn't a chain with it because uh, he wanted it resized at tiffany's and uh, but he just hasn't got enough money to buy one and then he gets money together to buy one and he sends her the chain and mm-hmm. so you know he's doing things like that trying to keep her interested and uh, he's actually working in a department store as a clerk mm. you know he's he's a, he's a little assistant salesman if that um, and there are hundreds I mean the whole thing is sight gags obviously because it's a silent film yeah. and there are hundreds of them and they are brilliant um, I'm going to have to find lots of clips on YouTube I think because 
you can't describe these things and make them sound good or funny. So I'm not even going to try to. I think we'll just link to stuff and, and you can make your own minds up. So um, keep your eye on Twitter and the blog. And, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, the, the opening sequence, I mean, all of the gags are brilliant misdirection and uh, physical comedy and all the sorts of stuff you would expect from a, from a, a, a silent film, mm. comedy film. So we've got this set up where he is desperately trying to make more money so that they can get married, um, but she gets impatient and at the goading of a family member, she goes to the city to see him. So he then has to pretend to be something he's not and find inventive ways of making her think that he's the manager of the store and not the assistant sales clerk and, you know, all the hilarity ensues that you can imagine. But then the uh, manager of the store says he'll give $1,000, which was a huge sum of money in those days, um, to anyone that can draw a crowd to the store to boost sales. So basically he puts out there a marketing pitch. Someone come to me with an idea um, so we can make money. Now, his pal happens to be uh, a human fly, which is a a very common thing in the 20s. In the 20s, it was the era of the stupid stunt uh, you know, you'd have barnstormers who are ex-World War One fighter pilots who would go and go and do shows in towns around making money. Um, people were climbing buildings as human flies and all sorts of stuff like that. It was, you know, it was very, very common. Um, and there's a setup whereby uh, the pal causes a bit of friction with a police officer, and he escapes by climbing a building, which Harold Lloyd sees. And when he gets offered this money to come up with an idea he decides i know i'll get my friend to come and climb the building that's a a publicity stunt then we can share the money 50 50 Mm. unfortunately on the day that it's supposed to happen the police officer is standing at the bottom of the building so his friend can't do it so the only solution is for harold lloyd to start climbing the building his mate will shake off the police officer and meet him on like the second or third floor and they'll swap over Okay. So that's the plan. So he's like, you just climb the first bit and then I'll do the rest. Um, the climb, which is effectively the uh, the finale of the film, is full of ingenious gags and nail-biting stunts. Okay. Um, maybe in the review I'll go, I'll go into more detail about how they did it. Sure. Um, because... It's it's really fascinating, and it was incredibly dangerous. I, I can imagine there's no such thing as health and safety in 1922. No, no. Um, they did have a bit, which was kind of interesting what they did. Okay. What I will tell you is this. Uh, this film was made in 1922. It was actually released in 1923, but it was made in 1922. In 1919, Harold Lloyd was handed what he thought was a prop bomb. So he lit it with a cigarette, thinking it was a joke. And it blew off his index finger and his thumb on his right hand. So he used to wear a prosthetic glove that had a finger and a thumb on it. So it looked like a normal hand. So all of these climbing sequences, he's effectively doing with eight fingers oh, and no opposable oh, thumb on his, oh. on his right hand. Um, which, to me, I, I didn't know that until I was researching for this podcast. And I was stunned about how, I mean, how, he, could, how he could do it at all. Um, yeah, it's a fantastic film. There's some utterly genius moments of gags in it and stunts. Um, but my favourite gag in the whole film is the very last gag. Okay. And it's not on the climb, and it's not in the department store, and it's on the roof, and all I'll say is watch his feet. Okay. Because um, it's so simple, yet very funny. 
Yeah, as I said before about Harold Lloyd being the guy that started to pull everything together, um, you'll also see a few innovative ca- camera techniques. Okay. Uh, so in a silent movie in the 1920s, you see a camera move, which was pretty rare. What? You see that a camera dollies from side to side. Um, they did a, a point of view shot. Uh, he At one stage, he's in an ambulance screaming through the streets of L.A., um, and what they actually did was they borrowed a police car, put the sirens on, whacked the camera on top, and just sped off down the road. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's all sorts of kind of interesting things that we will take for granted, even the viewer will take for granted, but were actually very innovative at the time. Mm. Um, there's a great bit where Harold Lloyd has got one leg on a tram and one leg on a car. Uh, traveling down the road and the guy driving the car was the director and you know people he meet in the street was the art director and it was just you know roping in whoever they could be to to fill the various parts but yeah this uh, again this is one of the greatest comedies of all time um and i would say it's uh it's certainly up there with keaton's best and chaplin's best um Again, you know, I'm a massive fan of uh, Buster Keaton, and hopefully we'll get to cover some of his movies in, in the podcast at a future date. Yes, because there's a few I haven't seen. There's a couple of big ones that I haven't seen. Yeah. This is yeah. this is a film that, when I first started getting into Buster Keaton mm. stuff, um, was something I meant to see as kind of a side project and never right. really got to it. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad you've pitched this. Oh, good. Because um, uh, the other thing I was going to say was what was interesting is that Howard Lloyd had... Uh, had done uh, three... This was his third film, which featured him on a building. Right. Um, you know, doing crazy stuff. Uh, so, you know, this was something that he'd done before and he was very keen to make sure whatever he did was always fresh. Um, so there's some interesting kind of little extra bits in here that he would not, say, attempted three years before. Um, this film influenced <clears throat> somebody who I know you really like, and that's Jackie Chan. Yes. And uh, in Project A, there's Jackie Chan's homage to the clock sequence in yes. this and um i watched that again recently funnily enough yeah well what i was thinking was because that scene is is uh basically jackie chan showing what he can do with the harold Lloyd gag we'll see if we can find it on youtube and we'll put that on the blog as well because mm. i think it's an interesting comparison as to uh what someone in the 1920s with no health and safety would do to someone in the 1980s with no health and safety would do yes <laughs> Um, and it, it's very different but equally entertaining um, so I think I'm going to leave it there because um, all the other stuff that I've, I've, I've researched about it will probably be best once you've seen it I think Okay. so uh, yeah that's Safety Last and uh, I hope you enjoy it because I love it marvellous good because like I said it's something I've been meaning to watch for years and have never just got to speaking of which I had a completely different film to pitch to you today until I saw something I've been meaning to see for ages. Okay. And that overtook. I even have down here. Right. I even have a page of notes. Right. I'm uh, trying to see what it is. So no, I'm no, it. no, no, I can't. I'm, I'm going to put it. Your right, your handwriting is so bad. I, I can't know. make it out. <laughs> it, it finally works in my favour. Um, <laughs> I'll sit on that for a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, I. So as as I mentioned, I signed up to a uh, a well known um, movie streaming and DVD rental service, yes. and I tried out the streaming. Okay. On my well known console, produced by people who aren't Apple. Right. Um, <laughs> and there was a, sh- a, a film on there that I thought, oh, I've been meaning to watch that for, for such a long time, and okay. I just hit hit go, mm-hmm. um, and I loved it to bits. Okay. And I hope and think you will too. Right. It's called Primer. Okay. 
it's a small film, yeah. effectively almost made by one man. Right. He wrote it, produced it, directed it, ran the camera on the scenes he's not in because he oh. takes the lead role. Right. Composed the music. Yeah. Edited it. Wow. The works. Doing a bit of a Rodriguez. Yeah. For seven thousand uh, dollars. Definitely a Rodriguez. Then. Yes. Yes. Um, the plot is complicated. Okay. And I need to try and tell you the bare minimum. Okay. Um, there's four four engineers who work for a big co- corporation. Yeah. Aaron, Abe, Philip, and Robert. Right. Uh, they kind of have a sideline uh, set up in Aaron's garage. Garage? <laughs> <laughs> garage. Garage. Um, garage. Um, uh, where they make... Uh, it's some kind of computer component. It's a testing... Uh, okay. A hardware testing component. Right. Um, and they're a bit down because it's not really making any money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in fact, one of the one of the lines is, uh, is that they noticed that all the address labels they're sticking on the envelopes are for apartments rather than big business. Okay. So it's just like home users who are yeah. home enthusiasts who are buying these things. They want to make something big and be noticed within the science community. Right. Um, Aaron and Abe are kind of thick as thieves isn't quite the right word, but they are definitely kind of separate from Robert and Philip. Okay. Um, and they kind of begin working on their own mm-hmm. on something they think is going to be big. Um, they they work on a, on a machine to reduce the weight of an object. Okay. They work on they they have an idea for uh, anti gravity or uh, not anti gravity more nullifying gravity. Okay. Taking it out of the equation rather than okay completely counteracting it if that makes any sense. Yeah, kind a of a tiny bit. Yeah. Um, they have a, they have a, a schematic that they think should work and they try and and they make tweaks to it. Right. Um. And it seems to work, only it has an interesting side effect. Abe puts his watch in it, Hmm. and when he takes it out, it is... The device is on for one minute. Yeah. But his watch shows that over 1,300 minutes have passed. Right. So time inside the box is different to time outside of the box. They've effectively invented a time machine in, in the basement, in the garage. Okay. Um, they do a bit more testing, and Abe kind of, on the quiet, builds a human-sized prototype right? and uses it. Okay. That's probably all I can tell you. Okay. It's not a very long film. Right. 78 minutes. Oh, cool. And two, the director, two short ones this week, then. Yeah, we did. Uh, the director's a man called uh, Shane Carruth. Right. Um, who's made nothing else. Oh. Didn't make anything before. He taught himself filmmaking to make this. Right. He effectively taught himself physics to make this. Okay. Um, and he, he re- I read an interview with him where he said he thinks he could maybe have done an 80-minute cut, nothing longer. Interesting. Because he, the, the, most of their $7, his $7,000 went on stock, uh, on film right. stock, and he reckons the shooting ratio is 2 to 1. Wow. So if it's a, a, an 80-minute film, they shot 160 minutes of footage. That's it. No, wow. no second takes. No, they just do it. Amazing. Um, it's shot on Super 16 millimeter. Right. Uh, so it's got a very kind of cold, stark look to it. Yeah. Um, in places, it's not even very technically proficient. Right. Um, but there's something about it that just kept me watching. Interesting. Uh, the first 20 minutes are borderline impenetrable. You have to listen very carefully okay. and pay attention. You can't 
don't let your attention drop for the whole thing. Okay. And I also have a feeling it will take a second viewing to understand it more. I'm pitching you a film I don't understand, but I know I like. Okay. Oh, um, so that's always good. I, you know, I do, I, do like, I do like films like this. Uh, one that kind of sticks in my memory, which I'm not sure if you've seen. If you haven't, I'll probably pitch it to you. Is, uh, it's called Cube. Um, I haven't seen that yet. No. Yeah, which and that, that's kind of an interesting sciencey, slightly horror, I suppose. But yeah, it's and it was very low budget as well. So I do quite like this sort of sort of film. So I'm you quite intrigued. Like, you, you also like the backroom boffin type stuff. Yeah, which is another do, reason. Yeah. And I know you like your the kind of physics related yeah. and quantum physics related Absolutely, yeah. stuff as well. And also low budget filmmaking. So I can't see anything <laughs> in this that wouldn't. No, no, he's ticking a lot of boxes. Here. Yes, it is. Um, it starts complicated and gets more complicated. Okay. Um, but, unlike some of the films we have talked about, mm. makes sense every step of the way. Okay. Um, and Now, does it make sense because you don't understand it? Possibly. <laughs> right. The bits I understand make sense. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, Carruth has said that um, he wanted to try and make a realistic science fiction film. Okay. In uh, one of his major points is that um, the greatest breakthroughs in science have occurred by accident mm-hmm. in people's basements, yeah, in just very mundane surroundings. Uh, his his quote is uh, that uh, prototypes almost never include neon lights and chrome. <laughs> yeah, this is just a box with right. uh, essentially it looks like a box with some tin foil and wires on it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, uh, and it also charts the breakdown of the relationship between the two central characters yeah it looks at power and responsibility mm-hmm. what would you do if you could have anything okay that kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. thing um it yeah it's 78 minutes long and grip me for every single one of them oh, and like i said i don't understand it yeah excellent. but i know i like it good I, I like the sound of this it's it's intriguing me a lot um um, Caruth, uh, this same interview, Caruth talks about the development of the project. Okay. Um, he said he was reading reading books about discoveries mm-hmm. uh, and uh, had a car accident. Okay. Uh, which laid him up for about a month or so. And he watched things like uh, The Conversation and All the President's Men yeah, yeah. and how kind of low tech and lo fi they were. Yeah. Uh, and how they were all about the characters. And he wanted to kind of bolt on, is the wrong word. Uh, Dovetail is probably a better word Dovetail a science fiction plot into a a film about characters Yeah, that that, again, that doesn't happen a huge amount No Um, Interesting enough, uh, Cube does the same sort of thing Mm. Um, It's a very uh, simple setup, But we'll cover that when I pitch it to you at some point Okay, possibly next week (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah Um, No, the the whole, like you say for me It ticks a lot of boxes and... um, you know, I'm a big fan of reading things by Michio Kaku, who's this yes, crazy. Yes, I like him as yeah, well. Yeah, he's a crazy physicist, and he he built a particle accelerator in his basement when he was 15. So, it's you know, it's, this follows follows similar similar lines to that. Yeah, excellent. Um, so yes, Primer is available on the uh, well-known streaming service that I have now plugged three times, and they should probably pay us some money if they want me to mention <laughs> their name. Yeah. Um, what else have we got to do? Are we done? We're done, I think. Should we go we need to wrap up, yeah. Good, excellent. Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's do the plugs. Okay. You can follow us on Twitter at HYS Podcast. Uh, we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash have you seen podcast. And we have a blog, which is bit.ly slash HYS Podcast. 
Uh, we should probably also thank some people. Absolutely. Uh, Upbeat Productions for the use of their studio. Yeah. And the marvellous Alexia Mum, who has done uh, well, pretty much everything for getting our ramblings onto the internet. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's, we owe him he, a lot of lemonade. Yeah, he's the, he's the bridge from us to you. So a uh, very big thanks to So Alexia. everybody walk over his back. Yes, yes, absolutely. And we should also probably say thank you to Chapter Media for just all of their advice on getting us started and all that kind of stuff. Marvellous. What a lovely, warm and fuzzy way to end the year. Absolutely, yes. Um, well, uh, I hope everybody is uh, suitably uh, full of mince pies uh, and unable to move from the sofa, so why not watch a DVD while you're there? Absolutely. Um, Probably one we've suggested. And then yes, talk to us about it idea. on Twitter or Facebook. There's a marvellous idea. Let's yeah. all have a conversation. Absolutely. So uh, I guess there's nothing left to say, but Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.